It's a beautiful problem on a Sunday morning when we have to resort to egg crates to hold all of the communion juice. Amen? It's a beautiful problem. In all seriousness, what a beautiful morning to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in which he sat with his disciples as the story as we read it, breaking a piece of bread and telling them that this was symbolic of his broken body. This morning, when we take these elements in, it not only associates us and reminds us of Jesus, but it also connects us to each other, to those who have come before us and those who will come after. This is a very unifying thing that we participate in this morning. And so, take of the body of Christ in remembrance. In a similar fashion, Jesus passing around a common cup told them that this was a symbol of the new covenant, that every time that they drank of this cup to do so in remembrance of Him. And we join in that this morning as well. Let's bow our heads and pray together. God, we come before You today thanking You for who You are, giving You praise as we have all morning long for being the Savior who not even death could bind, for being the one who not only showed Himself in such an incredible way those years ago, but one who also chooses to be in our midst and our presence this morning. God, as we're reminded of, of who you are, of what you've done for us, it causes within us, God, a, a compulsion to, God, to praise you, to live accordingly to as a, as a response to you. And so this morning, God, we, we sing your praises, we thank you in our prayer, and we pray that moments like these would propel us into the future to live a Christ-like example in the world that we live in. God, we know that within our congregation this morning, there are those who are unable to be with us. We pray for those like Miss Rhonda Ramsey, who was in the hospital this past week, uh, th this past evening. God, we pray that you would help her to feel a sense of, of your presence, a sense of your healing. God, for those that we've been praying for who have been enduring procedures, those who have been enduring treatment, God, we know that there are many people within our family. This ECN family represents a lot more people that we're aware of, and so we lift to you as individuals. God, we lift those individuals to you, praying that you would be there as a means of healing, that they would feel your presence as a means of peace. God, we also pray this morning that as we get a chance to continue in worship, got a chance to be able to be reminded of the resurrection story, a chance to be able to participate in baptism. We pray that your spirit, God, would be able to move and flow and that we would be open and receptive to whatever it is you would challenge us with this morning. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. This morning, I think it is a, a worthwhile endeavor. We have had a crew who showed up yesterday, a crew who, I mean, if you don't know this, Max, back here in the back with the black shirt, he's the reason you have donuts here this morning. Miss Karen is the reason you have coffee out here this morning. Pastor Jeremy is the reason you can hear me right now, all right? I think it's worthwhile to say thank you to these folks for what they've offered of their time. So permit me to use a small but simple fishing analogy before we begin our time in the Word this morning. I used to tell people I could tell you how good of a day I had fishing years and years ago. could tell you how good of a day I had fishing without even talking to you. You could look in my boat and tell. And the reason for that is, at this time I was using a very specific little piece of soft plastic catching fish. And in using those soft plastic, as you catch fish, they tear those things up. And my joke was oftentimes, if you look up and there is stuff strewn about, those pieces of plastic are all over the place, it means it's been a very, very good day. In a loose way of assimilating, I look at the, the baptistry this morning with the leftovers of communion. It has been a good day. Amen? 
I love that we've been stretched a bit in providing communion for such a large number of folks. We're a blessed people for that. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 20. I know that many of you are excited for baptism, but we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Word here for just a few moments. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be, and what I'd invite you to do, the words will be on the screens to my left and right here. I'd invite you to read this story, but there's one person in particular that I want you to make sure you're sticking with, because we're going to stay with this lady throughout our story this morning. Her name is Mary Magdalene. She's one that plays a very, a very vital role. Now, sometimes you read between the Gospels. You read the resurrection story, and there are some times where one writer writes the story just a, a shade differently than the others. I've had some people talk about why don't all of the individuals uh, uh, maybe write about the earthquake or, or the feeling of the ground shaking, those sorts of things. And, and quite frankly, before we even get into the story, this is just the one that we're going to focus on this morning. There's a couple of thoughts I have on that. I think it's worthwhile to mention. Number one, I would imagine anybody hearing a stone roll away that seals a tomb would think that the ground is shaking and it would feel quite like an earthquake. Makes sense to me, you know? Uh, number two, I also recognize that when people tell the story, they're telling the story in some parts because maybe they were there, but they're also having to relay the parts of the story that they weren't there for. I mean, if Mary Magdalene was the one who was there to find the tomb, as we're reading about in a moment, then everyone else is operating from what Mary Magdalene told them or what they heard about it. So when you read the stories in the gospel, and sometimes, you know, detractors would say, well, they don't line up just perfectly. You will leave here this morning, and when people ask you how church was and what you remember, you will tell a different story. It will not line up perfectly. It doesn't disprove that we had an incredible service and worship together. Amen? Different perspectives. And so this morning, we're going to read from the perspective of what John wrote. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 18. It's the text that for this morning's purposes, I want you to read, but I want you to hear this story through the lenses of Mary Magdalene and ask the questions for just a moment. What would it have been like to be this lady going through this experience? And so John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the Word this morning. It's something we do out of a sign of respect for the reading of the Word aloud in a congregation such as this. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, you can follow along on the screens beside me as I read from my notes here in front of me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, 
which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. God, we come before You this morning imagining the story through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And we pray this morning that her experience would inform our life. In your son's name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. Think with me for just a few moments. Many of you are quite accustomed to me asking questions and us interacting back and forth. You also recognize that as I've gotten a little bit older, I have trouble sometimes hearing in great uh, contexts like this. So to save us a little bit of time of me asking, huh, several times, I'll ask questions kind of rhetorically, and then I'll, I'll answer those as we move along. Uh, think with me for just a moment about the life of Mary Magdalene getting to this point. Does anybody remember her story as it begins? Anybody remember where she comes from or what her connection is? or like how the, And I appreciate the raised hand. I know you know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick here for just a moment, all right? In, in asking the question, where does she come from? Many of you would remember in Luke 8, she's a woman who is recognized as having been healed of seven demons. Uh, we don't have any idea of what that was. Uh, we, there's some conversation to be had in other circles about what that means. But, but for this morning's purposes, she's a woman who knows what it means to have been cured. A woman who knows what it means to have come to Jesus or encountered Jesus and Jesus having healed her. Folks, when you talk about someone in their interactions with Jesus, it makes a difference when they have been saved from things that they know they could not pull themselves out of. Now, theologically, we could never save ourselves. Understand, we're not able to do that. But to those who have been forgiven a great amount, there's just simply a difference in their recognizing what Jesus has done in their life. Amen? When you recognize the mistakes you've made sometimes and you look back and you see maybe sins that were your own fault or, or things that have, have been a part of your life and, and then when you realize those things when you've been forgiven, folks, you need to know that someone who has been forgiven or better yet who has been healed at this great of a level, you don't forget these things. I remember on a mission trip years ago in a time frame when I was uh, leading a group. In, in that group, we were in another country far away from here in a country most of you couldn't pick out on a map. It's called Burkina Faso. And while we were in that country, we were getting hit by an illness that we to this day don't know what it was, but we knew what it looked like. Because two or three days before the person would be out, they would complain of the same things. Folks, we were having supper at night, sitting around eating meals with IV poles hanging all over the place, trying to stay hydrated, trying to stay ready because of what this illness was doing to my team. And I can remember as we left our compound to go for the one day we got to go have fun on safari. We're heading that direction. And as we move, I can remember myself and the missionary, both of us, having the symptoms, and we knew the next day when we were on safari, our missionary who was our translator and the leader who was myself were both going to be out. Out as in we would be laying in the bed for two days, not good for anyone. And we sat in the parking lot with the uh, pastor of the area, and the, the um, uh, missionary was standing there, and he said, Daniel, I got bad news, man, like I'm going down. And I said, buddy, I hate to tell you, I'm in the same place. We're in a bad way. We now have team leader and translator going down. This is not good. And the pastor, Pastor Zungrana, I'll never forget him, we were blocking pumps at a gas station, and he said in uh, Zungrana's native language what was going on, and Zungrana looks at both of us, and he goes, now we pray. Well, of course we do. He didn't mean like later, y'all. He meant like, I don't care if anybody gets gas at this gas station again. 
we're going to pray right here. And so he put his hand, one on me, one on the, uh, uh, Spencer, our missionary, and he began to call out to his God. At one point he had his hand on Spencer and was holding it. I have no idea what he said to the Lord, but I know this. During the prayer, to, to keep from being uh, uh, graphic, Spencer got sick during the prayer. Okay, we were at that point in the story. I remember as soon as that happened and the prayer was over, and I can remember Zungrana ended a prayer like most people around the world do. He says, Amen and Amen. And I open my eyes and I look around and I look up and Spencer's looking dead at me and he goes, buddy, all I can tell you is I'm good to go. Never again, any illness, no signs of sickness. We're still left with me, you know, like I'm still like, well, good for you. I'm still not feeling well. That evening, I remember going back, taking a nap. And I'm going to tell you what, what knocked people down for two and three days where they were not functional for two and three days I took a nap for about two and a half hours, and that was the extent of my illness. I'm telling you, when God has removed things from your life and cured you from things, you don't forget it. Amen? Some of you know this because you've experienced this where God has done something amazing in your life. You don't forget it. And then you add to this, Mary Magdalene has followed this man around, folks. She has watched things take place. We read in several other passages, it's noted throughout the Gospels, that she was around taking care of the disciples. She and several other ladies were giving of their means, is the way it's stated. We don't know fully what her means were as far as like the assets, the financials, those sorts of things. But she traveled with Jesus and the disciples regularly taking care of them. Folks, you have to see that when we get to the end of the story, and Mary Magdalene watches, which by the way, the Bible also in all four Gospels points toward her being there watching this thing go down. When it happens, imagine with me for just a moment where her heart and mind are when she sees the man she's followed for two to three years, the man who saved her both spiritually and physically, the man who cured her, right? When she sees that man die such a grotesque and a horrific death on a cross, Explain and just think with me for a moment, where would her mind be? Can you imagine watching this happen? Like the, the man that you've traveled with, that you have such profound respect for, that you know is such a, a deeper level than just a friend on this earth, but is the Savior to all of humanity. And you've watched him endure all of this, and now you watched him die. And there are, there are questions and uncertainties. And I ask you the question, like, what, how do you picture this woman? You picture her left in a place with an immense amount of stress, inner turmoil, inner struggle. Can you imagine her trying to get in her mind what was going on in the chaos that she had just watched? Can you imagine her trying to figure out what does this mean and how did he die? And you start looking at her story and my question for you is like, well then what does she do in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this chaos? Where do we find her? We find her saying, I don't know how to make sense of this, but I just want to take care of the body. I just want to make sure things are taken care of of the man I followed for so long. Can I add something that's customary to her world that you wouldn't recognize this morning because you operate in a very different way, but in her world this makes perfect sense? Many, many times, and as is tradition in their world, people would sit at the graveside or at the tomb or wherever the entombment process was taking place. They would stay there for three days. Interesting. They would stay there for three days for a very specific purpose. It was believed in their culture that the spirit of that loved one would hover around for three days before making its final departure. Folks, apply this to what this, this poor woman is thinking. Of all the places to be, I just want to be where his presence is likely residing. I just want to be there where, the, where his presence may still be. 
I'm not sure that, as a matter of fact, I'm fairly convinced that she doesn't have all this squared away in her head like we have this luxury. I've said before, 2,000 years of process theology. We have this luxury. Folks, she's in the throes of chaos, not sure how to handle this, but she knows this. I just want to be in the presence of, of, of my Savior. I just want to be in His presence. And so she's there outside of that tomb, or better yet, going to that tomb so that she can be in His presence. And I need you to hear this morning Folks, the presence of God means more than any place on this earth. Understand? Being in the presence of God means more to us, should mean more to us. And to those who recognize and remember often that we've been forgiven of a great amount, it doesn't really matter where we find ourselves, where we live, or any of those situations. We just simply want to be in the presence of God more often because we're so grateful. Folks, recognize this as well. Where is she compared to the other disciples? I love this part of the story because I think it's worth pointing out. In John's Gospel, the other disciples are trying to figure things out. They're taking cover somewhere else. They're asking their own questions. We know because we read of their words in the New Testament that they are in the Gospels, that they are, some of them were struggling with what had happened. Some of them were uh, uh, very doubtful, if we remember in some of their stories. They're, they're going through their own struggles. Can you imagine what's going on in their, in their hearts and minds? Well, we know this. This woman makes the decision that she's going to go to that other place. She's not going to sit to wherever the Peter and John and all the others are. Not going to sit there asking the questions and the what if. Not going to run the scenarios through their head. Her concern is, I just want to be where the presence of Jesus is, and she is the one that is rewarded. Amen? Of all of them, she's the one that is rewarded. She's the one who shows up walking. It says during the very, very early portions of the morning, we would read the proi is the, is the Greek. We would use an English P-R-O-I. Um, when we read that, that word in their language, it means in the fourth watch in that 3 a.m. to 6 a.m.-ish time frame. We're still talking about maybe as she gets there. You know, have you ever had that time when it's kind of dark, but it's kind of light and your eyes start playing tricks on you? Can you imagine this woman walking toward the tomb? She's in great mourning. She's in the mindset that she wants to be just in the presence. Maybe the, maybe the spirit of her departed loved one is still in that area. And so that's where she wants to go. And as she walks up, she sees in the distance. And as she looks, it looks like, is the stone even there? And she's like, she gets closer. And she's like, oh, come on. Folks, I'm telling you, this woman's heart sank. You want to know why her heart sank? Here's another one about their world. You may wonder sometimes, like, what are the worst crimes to be committed? Let me tell you, in their world, there were folks who would come in after a burial and they would rob the graves of those who had been buried. Very normal, not, I say normal occurrence, normal in that we knew it happened. Not that it happened like every day, but that this is something that regularly happens. People rob the grave. When she shows up, you have to know that in her context, the thoughts start going through her mind. What has happened? I wonder sometimes through her lenses, who is the they that she's concerned about taking their body? Is it maybe the, the governmental side of things? Those who were the threats, the teachers of the law that didn't like her, those who didn't like him, those who are trying to have him uh, crucified, those who accomplished having him crucified. Is it grave robbers that she's worried about? But regardless, as she walks toward this place to find Jesus' body and her heart begins to sink because she's unsure of what happened. Folks, I, I need you to see and to be pointed toward this morning. It is in her it is in her desperation, in her chaos, and in her pain of going toward the presence of God that she experiences something amazing. 
It's not in those other places, wherever those may be, asking the questions, playing armchair quarterback. I need you to know this morning, if you are dealing with chaos in your own life, one of the first things I can tell you is quit sitting in the sidelines asking questions or coming up with ideas and seek the presence of God this morning. If you're in a place of chaos this morning and you, have, and you know that your world is a bit turned upside down or you live in a bit of fear this morning, can we learn from this woman's story? Seek the presence of God more so than any other conversations that can be had. You know where? Like we see this time and time again where people, especially in our context, we're having these discussions about all the policies in the world to try and make things better, about all the rules and all the laws in the world to make things better. When you look at the world around us and you have a bit of fear about you, number one, good. Number one, recognize that there's chaos in this world and there's evil trying to destroy us. And let me tell you what the solution is. You will never policy out evil. You will never law out evil. You will never make rules that excludes evil. It will be, we will squash evil by seeking the presence of God. Amen? We will, see, we will squash evil when we are people who are looking for the presence of God and wanting to be in His presence more so than maybe somewhere else having our conversation. Folks, the most powerful thing you can do when you feel like times are chaotic is seek the presence of God. In this story, look how it continues to unfold. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. She's showing up in this place. She's showing up to this area where she thinks the presence of God will be. She's going to that space wanting to spend time simply in His presence. You move a little bit forward in the story. She's looking for, she's yearning for, she's going to that space to, just to be in the presence of Jesus. And one of the things that, that is also worth recognizing in, in her desire to find Him, she gets there, and as she sees that empty tomb, remember, and her heart begins to sink, and the emotions begin to race, there's even this part where when she sees it happen, and she's like, who took His body? What could have happened? Like, why could they do this? Was it grave robbers? Was it the someone of, of, of power in that day, like trying to make a point and remove Jesus? Are, are they torturing? What's going on here? And so she runs back. I also think it's worth noting here, uh, ladies, take note, when God does something really, really amazing in this part of the story, who finds out first? It's you. Congratulations. It is the women who find out about the most amazing thing God ever did, okay? It's a pretty cool aspect. We got both genders have their strengths, okay? And in this case, women, you win the battle. You're the one who Jesus decides to reveal himself to in most every one of the Gospels we read. She sees this and she goes back. And who does she go back to? She goes back to Simon Peter. I think there's, a, there's an interesting point to be made. He's still seen as a leader, okay? He's still the one that she goes back to. I think as she goes back, remember folks, she doesn't know anything at this part of the story other than her heart hurts, other than she's aching, other than somebody stole Jesus' body. And then they go back to get Peter and they tell like the disciples who were there, like this is what happened. And they take off running. And we believe now that when they ran back that it was Peter and John. I, can you imagine the banter later on when they finally see Jesus and they were like, hey, we were running to the tomb. I won. I was more worried. You know what I mean? Like, or Peter's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you got to the tomb, you stood at the door. I went on in. You know, like the back and forth of what they're doing. I just have to believe these guys are like typical guys. At some point later on, they're like, hey, we need to just keep the record straight. And there's a little bit of banter there about who outran the other one, right? In the story, though, this woman is still left in heartbreak. She even returns back to the scene, back to the place where this has happened. Because again, Folks, when you're in chaos and you don't know what to do and you're looking for God, where do you go? Where you experienced His presence? Some of you, 
Some of you relate that you have had chaotic times in your life and you make a phone call or you drive to that space and you sit in that place where you recognize this is where I experience the presence of God and in my chaos, I just want to be as most likely to encounter His presence again. That's the, the holy, and as much as it's not about place, we're not going to the, that specific like square to find God's presence, or to, that, to, to be in that specific place, but to know that like, this is what we associate with God's presence. It's why oftentimes throughout a week or a month, people decide to come back and pray in a sanctuary somewhere. It's why people make journeys back to homeland, maybe back to a, a place where they were. It's when people have gone through chaotic times in their lives that they go back to the, those places that they associate God's presence. And in the midst of her chaos of asking what in the world happened to Jesus and where is he and how could this happen? I watched him die and now people have stolen his body and how do I even make sense of this? I want to ask you the question, folks, in the midst of her chaos, where is Jesus? He's there. He's there the entire time. There's no doubt this morning that in this room, there are some of you that have shown up on Easter. You got your Easter gear on. Hey, y'all look good this morning, by the way. Nobody's told you this morning, you look sharp, okay? You look pretty, whatever word you like, okay? Y'all look wonderful. But you put on your Easter garb, you, you got your Easter dress, or maybe you pulled out a certain shirt this morning, you know, all those sorts of things. But the reality is, no matter how you dress it on the inside, there's chaos, there's uncertainty, there's fear of what's going on. There's things happening in the country around us that shake you to your core, and you're not exactly sure in the middle of it, where is God in this? And I need to proclaim to you on a Sunday morning, especially Easter Sunday morning, when you seek God's presence and you are wondering where is God in the midst of this, you may not be able to see Him yet, but believe me in this, folks, He is there and He is at work. I need you to hear this this morning. God is at work in the world that you're living in right now. No matter how chaotic it may look, no matter how crazy it may seem, no matter how much we may be going to pot. Anybody even know what that means? I was in the fourth grade and my teacher sent a letter home and she said, Daniel Metters is going to pot. I took it to my mom. I said, I don't even know what this means, mom. What am I doing? I, I don't smoke. You know, she's like, it's not that. Okay, so she tells me, she goes, that means you're going downhill. She thinks that you need to correct your ways. And I was like, well, I didn't even know what it meant. I just knew she told me I was going to pot, you know. It means you're making, so when you see the world around you making bad decisions and you're finding yourself in a place of fear, can I tell you this morning, people, seek the presence of God because it's the only thing that will make profound impacts on this world that we live in. And when you do recognize it and when you're seeking the presence of God, He is faithful to be there. He's faithful to be there. This morning, I want us to close with a word of prayer. And then I've got one final challenge for you. It's what happens right after this. It is kind of the send-off for us. And we've got baptisms to participate in. But I want us to close in prayer this morning so that we can strengthen ourselves because of the reality that chaos is inevitable. God, we come before you this morning thanking you for who you are and for the opportunity to be able to be in this space. It has become holy space for us not because of the exact location, but because your presence resides here. So God, we seek your presence this morning, some of us from places that are quite chaotic, quite crazy. There are uncertainties. We don't know how to make sense of things. And maybe we need to be reminded by one of the matriarchs of the faith that it is while seeking your presence, God, that we find you to be at work. We find that you were there with us even in the times when we couldn't see you. Would you bring us that encouragement this morning? Would you remind us of this when chaos starts knocking at our door? We love you. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Last thing I've got for you folks, I need you to look down at verse 17. What is she told to do at the end of that story? 
Go and tell your brothers, or better yet, my brothers. What an incredible send-off. You've been reminded this morning to go back into a world that in many ways sees chaos, craziness around them. Go back into this world and remind them to seek God's presence, and you will find Him in those spaces. What a cool, cool send-off for us this morning. Uh, for the next few moments, we're going to have a bit of downtime. If you are getting baptized this morning, go ahead and make the way to wherever you are going to change and prepare yourself. It'll take us just a second to clean up the communion damage. What a beautiful thing to have to clean up. And then we'll remove this lid. We'll have baptism. I think we have uh, several, several kids being baptized this morning, and so we're looking forward to that. Sit with us. Sit tight for just a moment, and then I'll call your attention when we're ready.